Welcome in, everybody, to episode 72 of the Sports Gospel Podcast here on sportsgospel.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We're happy to have you with us here, getting down here towards the end of August. And as we get close to the end here, we're going to continue on our football trajectory, part two of our college football season preview. We're going to look at the Big 12, the SEC, and then mid-major and independent teams. Uh, probably later in the show, talk about the WNBA playoffs. We've been neglecting that far longer than we should. And probably talk about UFC 278 here in a minute. Darren and Shannon here with you. Usually this is a triumvirate. Usually when we do this rotation, Kevin is here with us, but he is off coaching kids or making them run laps after T-ball or something. I will ask you this, Shannon, as you've spent a lot more time around children than I have, working with them, raising them. What are the best and worst sports to coach kids when they're approximately ages four to eight years old, when it's kind of just moderately controlled chaos. I have some experience with a few different sports. T-ball has been the most fun for me because there's, there, there tends to be a lot of action uh, like out in the field and it, and kids are really good about listening to what you tell them to do if it's simple. So if, if you draw a line in the, sand and say, you stay behind this line, a kid's going to stay there and the ball's going to get hit to them. And then when it's their turn to hit, like it goes through pretty fast. So T-ball is fun in uh, a pretty simple one to coach. I have not tried my hand at soccer, but I've been to youth soccer games and it seems like a miserable thing to try to coach because the ball's always moving. The kids are like an amoeba just with the ball. So that doesn't look like it's a lot of fun. I could see basketball being a fun youth sport to coach uh, because of the movement and kids can relate to basketball pretty easily. Once we start thinking about volleyball, I'm not so sure that would be any fun to coach at a youth level. Uh, Wrestling would be the one I would love to coach most. Uh, I'm hopeful that in the future I get an opportunity to do that at a youth level uh, with, with at least one of mine and that that's something that I think would be pretty rewarding as well. And it's more of due to the uptick in popularity of girls wrestling. I'm going to just go out on a limb and already guess which one of your children I think will be the wrestler. Yeah. The uh, oldest one or the youngest one? The more rambunctious one. Yeah also known as the tougher one or the the one that will tackle you when you're not looking or will trust fall or will ch- trust jump off the stairs. Yes, you're correct. Yeah, that one. Well, start them young. Yep. Speaking of wrestling, uh, can you use that as our transition here to talk about UFC 278 before we get into the football talk? A decent card. I think it probably ended up being a little bit better than I gave it credit for. We talked about it on last week's show, picking the top three fights and got two out of three right. And this one, actually, I don't feel too bad about being wrong. And I'm sure you don't feel bad if you picked Leon Edwards. I said last week I would stick with Kamaru Usman. I thought he was the best fighter on the planet. But that KO head kick in the fifth round, less than a minute left in the fight, Leon Edwards catches Usman with this amazing head kick. And you can't help but feel good for Leon Edwards climbing up the ladder, really being the 
this is the classic Cinderella story. The guy who pays his dues, who works his way up, and then he catches Usman. And I don't think there's a whole lot of people who dislike Usman. I think you're definitely running this fight back. Mostly because I don't know who else is in the division that can touch these two right now. But a great feel-good story with Leon Edwards, unless you were like me and lost a few dollars on your parlay with Mr. Usman. But Leon Edwards is now your welterweight champion and very deserving of it. It'll be exciting to see what he does if they give him Usman right away or if they find a couple other contenders. Paulo Costa taking Luke Rockhold in a pretty dominant unanimous decision and then a lot tighter Jose uh, Jose Aldo, or if you listen to last week's show, Andrew called him everything but Jose Aldo. Uh, unanimous decision there, but pretty tight except for on one of the scorecards, so Aldo may have more left in the tank. Marab the Machine took him down there. Rest of the card, eh, didn't really pay too much attention to Myson Tybura getting a win. Um, Unfortunately, Harry Hunsucker, the best name on the card, lost. But the top three fights, you know, decent, got a little bit of everything, but it's it's all going to be about that Edwards stunning Usman for the welterweight title, which you sound like you wisely did not listen to any of my betting advice this go-around. I kind of wished I'd, I had taken your fun bet on Edwards because you did say, like, hey, be bold. I did not listen to any of your advice that had more to uh, – more to do with the fact that I was ready for bed before the fight started than anything else. A uh, few too many visies with the neighborhood. So mm. uh, not complaining about that whatsoever. I didn't. Uh, so I that's did. just the reality of it. I did indulge. That was my Topo Chico night where I discovered Topo Chico margaritas are better, but you can't have quite as many in one sitting. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a good advice. And you live and you learn from that one. I think that Paula Costa is not somebody that I'd heard of, but as I was watching some of his past fights, I was like, this guy's mean and, and he's kind of good and I enjoy watching him. Now, he he kind of looks like if you were to make a fighter in a video game, you would build somebody like him and he was cruising until you ran into Israel Adesanya back when we thought Israel Adesanya was God and some of that shine has come off him and then a stunning loss to Marvin Vittori, but... I would watch Rapallo Costi. He's still young, 31 years old, and he he's a knockout artist, but he's yeah, big, jacked. I still don't think he should be at middleweight. I think he's a light heavyweight, but who am I to tell him what to do? But yeah, he's he's a guy to keep an eye on just kind of in the prime of his career, and we'll see what happens at middleweight and light heavyweight. I think he can make runs at both of those. And then with Usman, I, I was shocked that he got beat, and I think he was probably ahead on all the scorecards. And we find out it it makes no difference. The scorecards mean nothing uh, when you take a kick like that to the face and like. Yeah, phenomenal. I think he'll get back to the top. A quick trivia question I was reading on Mr. Edwards. He finished his wrestling career at Nebraska Kearney. Where did he begin his collegiate wrestling career? Cal State Bakersfield. You're very far away. Cornell. According to Wikipedia, Usman wrestled in Iowa at William Penn University for one year where he was an NAIA, NAIA National Tournament qualifier. He huh. could not, he could not attend that? the tournament due to a snowstorm. And he was frustrated that the coaches and the rest of the team left early and made it to the tournament, but he was not part of it. To which he said, I don't like being here and transferred to Nebraska Kearney where he became a national champion and two-time finalist and a D2 division champion. I just, I don't remember any of that at all happening. <laughs> you weren't following up on NAIA wrestling in 2007? 
Not not as well as I should have been, obviously. No. Yeah, he had I mean, basically the the conversation was he and now George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre is kind of considered the goat now that people don't like John Jones or Anderson Silva anymore. GSP's kind of become the goat fighter and Usman was going to be the guy who challenged him to be the best welterweight. He won the belt and then one, two, three, four, five. This was his sixth defense, which is crazy. But a lot of good things from those guys in the future. So keep an eye on that. UFC, yeah, it's kind of they have a decent card coming up in a couple of weeks with Cyril Gon and Tai Tuavasa. Bet Tai Tuavasa on that one. Uh, two seventy nine. You get a Nate Diaz fight, and everybody loves a Nate Diaz fight. So we'll we'll talk about that when we get into kind of Labor Day time. September tenth is the next big card. But before then, we're going to have plenty of college football to discuss. So we're going to sink our teeth into this with one of our two Big 12 experts here, the the 10-team Big 12 before the last year before Texas-Oklahoma leave and all the other schools come in. So this end of a miniature era we have with these 10, and to me, the Big 12 kind of feels wide open. I think the... The consensus seems to be Baylor. Everybody's loving Dave Aranda, and they were the surprise team last year. And then Oklahoma, you lose Lincoln Riley, you lose Caleb Williams, but it's Oklahoma. You know they're going to reload. The question is going to be is what does Brent Venables do as the new quarterback, the longtime D.C. of Clemson? Is he going to bring some defense to this usually high-powered offense, or are they going to fall off? A lot of times we see these teams need to rebuild with a new coach. On the flip side of that, you have who I believe is the longest-tenured coach in the Big 12 by a long mar- margin of Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. So your bedlam game will probably mean a lot this year with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I think those are probably your top three. Texas, you can... Well, hang on. Go, no, we're go on ahead. Motor- we're waiting on motorcycles to pass. Got it. Your fourth team is going to be Texas... They're Texas, Steve Sarkeesian, who I like. I think he deserves this redemption story. You have Quinn Ewers there, who's the all-everything. Next Andrew Luck, next Peyton Manning, next Trevor Lawrence. Had kind of that, let's just get NIL money year at Ohio State. We'll see if he's the real deal. And then the team that I think is kind of the sleeper is Kansas State. I like Chris Kleiman, the guy who really built up North Dakota State into a FCS power. I think he just needed time to get his team going there. Deuce Vaughn's going to be one of the most exciting players. So Kansas State is your unproven. I think the Big 12 separates into these two tiers of your top five and your bottom five. But for me, the top five, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas, and K-State. What I like about the Big 12 is we are going into the season with a lot of unknowns. First, first when Venables was hired, I kind of thought that Oklahoma would go into a dip because Lincoln Riley had these quarterbacks stacked on top of each other and you have a quarterback in college football, you're going to win a ton of games. And then I got to looking at, okay, they brought, they brought in Dylan Gabriel um, who, who he's one of those guys. You're like, hasn't he been around forever? And yes, he has. Uh, Think back to when UCF was dominant uh, with, with winning all their games. Um, he was quarterback. So now they bring in this guy who has won a ton of games as a starting quarterback. Brent Venables, when when they were asking, like, oh, do you think you can get this done as a head coach? He's like, well, I have national championships on my resume. I think I know what I'm doing. Good point. And Oklahoma is always going to be loaded with talent. So we can't count them out. I just don't want them to win selfishly for their last year in the Big 12 because 
that's something that Oklahoma will say, hey, we won the last Big 12 title. Same with Texas. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian has not been able to do it as a head coach. He's great as a coordinator. And, and there's a lot of guys that have that where they can do one thing really well. And he's, he's probably got a really short leash where if he goes seven and five this year, going into the sec, they're going to can him regardless of Arch Manning coming in. So Texas is going to have a good season. I don't know that they'll contend. I certainly wouldn't bet on them to win the big 12, but they could be in the race. Uh, you made a good point about Gundy being there so long, and and he just has it figured out as far as how to get his team playing. But Oklahoma State is really good at choking at least one game a year. It's just a matter of if they do it at the right time or the wrong time. Uh, one of the best coaches in college football in Baylor at Baylor's Dave Aranda. I was shocked that he stayed this last off season, so he must be like just all in on Baylor. My my dark horse team that if if I were feeling just a little bit adventurous would be Kansas State. I'm not afraid to bet on them to win. Chris Kleiman's the head coach. He's won national championships on his own. It, he didn't inherit them. He won them, uh, most of them, at North Dakota State. So he had built that. He's finding that different kind of player, like Kansas State's famous for the Juco route. He's embraced that. Uh, Got Adrian Martinez, who certainly was blamed for a lot of the crappy play that he gave at Nebraska, but he's still a good athlete. So I'm not counting Kansas State out at all. If they're going to do it, this is going to be the year. Um, so, So I'm looking at Kansas State as my dark horse. And then West Virginia could be a team that could shock some people as well. So I I don't hate them. Uh, obviously cheering for Iowa State, they just don't have the firepower. Um, they're going to have a good wide receiver group. They're going to have good running backs because they, they have a pipeline to the NFL with running backs. Uh, defensively, they've got Will McDonald, who's preseason all Big 12. So they've got some nice pieces. And Matt Campbell, they they showed a graphic the other day. Um, the school with the best recruiting advantage from 15 years ago till today. So has, has improved the most in their recruiting is Iowa state. That's taken in all 130 schools. So, so let's say I'm just using random numbers. Let's say they were 90th at recruiting 15 years ago and are now up to 40th, like the biggest jump in all of college football is Iowa state. Um, Kansas isn't going to be any good. Texas tech's not any good. TCU's probably a year away. So we might have like three different tiers of teams. Now, if you're making me bet, I'm probably going to bet Oklahoma and Baylor in the title game, but I really am going to be rooting for Kansas state to be the one that comes out in the end. I'm just a little bit lost on Baylor. I don't know what I'm not getting is it, it feels like it's all about Dave Aranda. I don't hear talk about, they don't have a Bijan Robinson, a Quinn Ewers. uh, It feels like they don't have a game changer the way Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state with the, However, many year, decade long, Spencer Sanders has been there. She feels like everything about Baylor is all about Dave Aranda as the coach, which makes me wonder who's your home run hitter? Where's your game breaker for this Baylor team to be so touted? I don't have that answer. And I also have, I don't have a clue who it was last year. And they won the Big 12. No, well, there's that. Ooh, speaking of former Baylor players, 
uh, was it your boy Dan Patrick? Somebody this week was talking about Charlie Brewer still being in college. Nice. Okay, where's he at? Uh, I said he popped up at Liberty. He was named the Liberty starting quarterback this week. He, because he started at Baylor, was there for a couple of years, and then COVID, and then he went to Utah. Thought he was going to get the job there, and then Cam Rising beat him out for that job, and somehow ended up at Liberty of all places and took over from Malik Willis. Good for him for landing on his feet. Uh, you bounce around that much. There's clearly something that is preventing you. Like you're getting in your own way of being successful. If you're going to bounce around that much. And this is, we'll get back to some of these teams here in a minute, but just talking about the coaching, a team like a Texas tech or a TCU, I don't think they're necessarily bad programs, but you have new coaches and I get, this is the way college football is, but Especially this year, Brent Venables at Oklahoma, first-year coach. Sonny Dykes at TCU, first-year coach. Joey McGuire at Texas Tech, first-year coach. Steve Sarkeesian just got there last year. Lance Leopold at Kansas just got there last year. So the only ones who were there prior to 2019 are Matt Campbell and Mike Gundy. And Campbell came in in 2016. So that's eight coaches who've been hired since the 2019 season. So those guys are just could be graduating their first recruits this year. So it's, I get that that's how college football is, but I think that's contributing to the topsy-turviness of this conference is all these new coaches rebuilding programs and Texas Tech and TCU are not always going to have a full cover the way Oklahoma will. Yeah, you you make a good point with that. And and there is something to be said for longevity in the, the way that college football landscape is. Uh, Texas Tech, you brought up Joey McGuire. He was on Baylor's staff last year, and that they did everything they could to keep him because he's an ace with recruiting. It'll just be a matter of time to see when he can get those players back at Texas Tech, uh, starting a former duck at quarterback. Yeah. Can you name him off the top of your head? At which school? Texas Tech. Does Jeremiah Masoli still have eligibility? That'd be pretty uh, sweet if he did. Tyler Shuck. Tyler Shuck can't still be in college, is he? He's starting quarterback. He's he's in that Charlie Brewer level of you're getting in your own way somehow. But he got to play in a Rose Bowl, so. Man, yeah, that guy's, he was supposed to be, he's at least on his third team. I didn't realize Graham Harrell was the offensive coordinator at West Virginia. I thought he was on to a bigger and better job. Well, he was at USC until Clay Helton got fired. Um, and, and why I like West Virginia actually is because I'm, I'm a fan of Graham Harrell's and Troy Brown as the head coach was smart enough to figure out that what he had been doing, um, where, where he came from escapes me, but, uh, what he was doing at a, at a mid major school offensively isn't working and so he had to bring in Graham Harrell and I and I think I think I'm correct when I say JT Daniels is the quarterback and JT yes. Daniels was recruited by Graham Harrell at USC. Uh, that, that'll explain why JT so Daniels So that's why I like them. I didn't get why JT Daniels went to West Virginia of all places, but I guess that makes sense. So looking just doing some quick schedule rundowns here for the top three teams. You look at K State. So they get Missouri, which I feel it could be tricky, but depends how much you love Missouri. They'll start out 3-0. and They have to go to Oklahoma. They go to Iowa State, which is not typically friendly for K-State. 
They get Oklahoma State and Texas at home, but they do have to go to Baylor. So kind of a mixed bag if you're if you're K State. I feel that's that's probably a three or four loss schedule, but that may still be enough for them to win. If you're can't uh, Texas gets Baylor at home. They have to go to K State. They have to go to Oklahoma State, and they have to go. Well, Oklahoma's in the Cotton Bowl, so that's that's another team. Three losses for Texas in there. And let's not forget, Texas plays Alabama the second week of the season. They get a what some colleges think is a warm-up game against UL Monroe, but playing those Louisiana schools is not always a warm-up. And then actually getting Alabama to come to Texas, which I get that that's not much of a commute. That's not like Alabama going to play Oregon or USC, but still, Nick Saban does not take his team on the road against big schools. So it's going to be interesting to see that September 10th, Alabama going to Texas. He's not going there to lose. I don't know what the spread is, but you take Alabama to cover, and you probably even bet the over. Wasn't Sarka one of those guys who got to spend a year at Alabama, like rehabbing? Because Saban takes he was there. He does. So, like, he was a year as what they would call an analyst. So you can only have so many coaches, but you can have an analyst. So he would sit and watch film all year. Like in a closet, basically, here, watch this film and break it down for us. And then enough people had moved on from Alabama to where he then be was able to become a coach. And he was the OC for a couple years with Saban. So he, he was probably there four years total. Um, but Nick Saban does not appreciate when his guys leave right. to go do other stuff. And so he does his best to thump them anytime he can. See Lane Kiffin. Yep. Uh, so my my official pick, the more I look at these schedules, I'm talking myself into Oklahoma State. I want it to be K-State, but my official pick is going to be Oklahoma State. I hope you're right. I, I like Mike Gundy. I know he rubs people the wrong way, and he said some really stupid things over the years, which I don't defend that. I I just really think he's done a nice job, and he's fun to listen to, and and he's a good coach. Some. So who's your official pick then? Uh, my official pick is Baylor. Okay. And I think we've talked about a lot of these guys, but some of the preseason stars to watch for Spencer Sanders, one of the quarterbacks. Deuce, I, if you want to look at the big 12 for anything, it's running backs. Deuce Vaughn at K-State and Bijan Robinson at Texas. I think you could argue those are the two best backs in college football this year. I uh, don't know about any of the linemen really stand out. Baylor's going to have an impressive front with the offensive line and tight ends they have. Defensively, Will McDonald is on some All-American teams, the Iowa State defensive end. Um, a guy that I don't know much about but seems to be getting a lot of buzz is a K-State defensive lineman, Felix Anaduke Uzama. You're going to have to correct me if you know anything more about him. Uh, DeMarvion, Over- DeMarvion Overshone at Texas, a big-time linebacker. And then Jason Taylor, the second to Oklahoma State, Charles Woods, D-back at West Virginia. I would say those are the guys, at least on this preseason All-Big 12 team that I'm looking at, that I've heard the most chatter about. Yeah, I think you've you've pointed them all out. I'm going to give a, a shout-out to the hometown guy at, at Iowa State, Trevor Downing. Uh, injured early in his career, one of the best recruits to ever end up at Iowa State for the O-line, and he's he's finally healthy. He's going into a senior year. So Trevor Downing is one on the O-line that could get himself drafted as well. And then 
Um, Will McDonald on the D line be pretty cool to see two Cyclones taken in the draft if they have good years. Uh, an exciting year for the Big 12. I think you're going to see a lot of teams flirting with that 7-5 and five mark. One of them is going to end up getting beaten down. We know Kansas is going to be at the bottom, but I think you're going to have a lot of teams right there in the thick of it till the very end. Yeah, and give I you mentioned Sonny Dykes earlier. Give TCU a year. They'll probably be at the bottom, but a year from now they'll they'll be challenging. They'll be good. And it'll be a new Big 12 by then and be wide open without the two big powers and a lot of new blood coming in. And those two powers are leaving for the SEC. So we will get to, as much as we hate to admit it, the kings of college football for the last 15 years or so. And we'll kind of take this division by division here. I think we'll start with the East because it is much, much easier. The West looks to be chaos outside of the top team. The East, I think you clearly have Georgia atop this whole thing. I don't know that anybody in the East is touching Georgia. I think your two, three, and four is very, very interesting. People are in love with this Kentucky team. I, I'm lo- happy for them. I like Mark Stoops. I think he's doing a good job there. And it's just fun when somebody different is there. You don't always need LSU, Alabama, Florida on top. So Kentucky's in there, but it seems to be Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida. I looked at a ranking today on one of these big sports websites. Two guys listed Florida and Tennessee as the most overrated, and two others listed Florida and Tennessee as the most underrated. So I don't know what to make of that. We know that you... A couple weeks ago, professed your love for Josh Heupel and this Tennessee squad. I'm a big fan of Billy Napier after what he did at Louisiana. So I think Florida is very much underappreciated. But it feels like Georgia's on top. Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, and that 2-3-4. South Carolina and Missouri are kind of on their own playing at the bottom there. And then Vandy, as is typically the case in the SEC, Vanderbilt's at the bottom. But is I hate to say the SEC is as cut and dry as Georgia's just going to run away with it. But... I don't see any of these other teams catching them. Yeah, it's, it is a battle for second place. You're right on that. So so we don't need to talk too much about Georgia, even though they had like 15 guys drafted. They're kind of like Alabama where they just bring in the next five-star. So I, I still am going to stay with Tennessee because of their ease of schedule. Uh, and I didn't like Josh Heupel but he's proven me wrong. And so I'm just going to eat crow on that. So I, I think Tennessee is that second place team. I love Anthony Richardson and and Billy Napier is the coach in Florida. So if they end up second, I'm not going to be surprised. I just think that Dan Mullen gave up on recruiting and just said like, F it, I'm done. And so there isn't a whole lot of talent compared to the rest of the sec on that roster it's going to take napier a year but anthony richardson is going to win some games for florida just based on him being a freak athlete um he's he's big he's like six four and he can run so uh kentucky is the one that i think is going to surprise people because they have all these expectations uh I don't know that they're going to live up to it. And so give me, give me Tennessee in second with Florida at a chance uh, to be the one to sneak in there in second place. Your, your favorite, my favorite, everybody's favorite quarterback from last year, the once upon a time consensus number one NFL draft pick Spencer Rattler is the projected starter at South Carolina this year. That's, that's really exciting for South Carolina. Um, I wonder how many games it'll take before they bench him and he pouts on the sideline. Mark Stoops has been at Kentucky since 2013. It feels I get he's playing in the SEC, but it's kind of just really taken off these last couple of years. 
Shane Beamer is going to be in his second season with South Carolina. We talked about Josh Heupel, Clark Lee, another guy. So a big turnover in the SEC East in 2021. A lot of these guys in their second year, so we'll kind of see in them Billy Napier, like you mentioned, the first year guy trying to get things going there. Let's so so walk through me this this Georgia schedule because I want to decide is Georgia a legitimate national title contender. So they play Oregon in I believe it's in New Orleans. Okay. Is that is that a winner? They're going to win that. Okay. Yeah, they're winning that. Uh, they are ho- uh playing Sam uh, playing Samford at home. They will win that game. They go to South Carolina. Win. Kevin's pick Kent State in the fourth game. Hmm. Kent State's gonna battle, but let's let's keep Georgia winning on that one. Okay. So they go into October four and zero. They go to Missouri, win five and zero. They host Auburn. Auburn's a curious team. We'll get to them later on. Win. So that's six. Host Vanderbilt. Win. The big game, the rivalry, Florida. Last game in October. Who do they play after Florida? So they have, so to go back, they play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven straight weeks up through the Vanderbilt game. Then they get a bye and play Florida, Tennessee back to back. Okay. Both so they're going to beat Florida. So they get four straight home Florida games. And and, bye. Yep. So that bye is going to get them ready for Florida. They'll win that game. Their loss comes to Tennessee. Ooh, at home. And then they follow that with a trip to Mike Leachville. Win. They go to Kentucky. Win. And then the battle for the state of Georgia on the week of Thanksgiving. Win. So that's is that 11-1 regular season schedule. Yep. Going to be good enough to win the division. Yeah. So pretty a pretty easy Easily. Their schedule sets up nice. So the entire month of October, they do not have to leave. I guess October 1st, they play at Missouri, and they don't leave the state of Georgia again until they play Tennessee on November 5th. So the schedule sets up nice in their crossover games. Who is it? Auburn and Auburn and Mississippi so State Mississippi are their state. crossovers. So they, yeah, no Alabama, no LSU, no Ole Miss, no Texas A&M on their regular season schedule. So if you're a Georgia fan, you have to be feeling good. Well, absolutely. And that's why they're such a huge, like they're, they're huge favorites to win their division. Um, minus five. 50 so you can't even win any money by betting on them to win the east and what i don't think we've talked about this we maybe touched on it a couple weeks ago and you guys were last on that first game of the year yes they're going to basically have home field advantage even though it's a neutral site game with oregon oregon's new head coach is dan lanning who gets a lot of credit for building that defense over the last couple of years so he's going to know he's going to know all of georgia's tricks and all the talent and everything those guys are best at so that's a Another great subplot for the first weekend is the former coach going back to take on Georgia. I'm not, I would not be shocked if Oregon wins that one. I think Georgia's probably a 10 and two team. I think they'll still win the division, but so yeah, like you mentioned, one of those, a, a Florida, a Tennessee, or maybe Auburn. I think one of them, Kentucky is going to trip them up somewhere along the line. Uh, the only thing I disagree with is Auburn. They suck, and Harson's going to be fired. It's just a matter of it's October 1st and November 1st. 
So uh, the rest of it, I could see coming true. And we'll use that as our pivot to the West division, Alabama, the Kings of college football. No shock that they're the number one favorite here. Bring back as great as Georgia was and bring back guys like Jalen Carter, who's supposedly the best defensive player in the country. Uh, Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Alabama brings back a lot more, including Bryce Young, your defending Heisman winner. He's going to be the big star of college football to start this thing off. But then it feels like, depending on who you talk to, there's really no consensus other than everybody hating Auburn. Some people are in love with this Arkansas team that I don't understand. LSU, I don't get it with Brian Kelly coming in. I don't think he's going to be a first-year wonder. I think that program, they're always going to turn out talent, but I don't think they're a complete team, and he has not done well against SEC teams in the past. Ole Miss, I kind of like with Lane Kiffin there. Mississippi State, Mike Leach, yeah, but are they better than 7-5? and And then Texas A&M kind of seems to be the team that most people are talking, okay, Jimbo and Nick Saban have started this feud. Texas A&M had the great recruiting class. They're going to be the ones to dethrone Alabama. I kind of like Ole Miss if I had to pick a non-Alabama team, but it feels like most of the excitement is around Arkansas or A&M. But in this this topsy-turvy seven teams, everybody has a shot at it. SEC West, who's your pick? My pick's Alabama just due to the five-star recruits lining the sideline every game that are are just waiting for their turn to go in. And and while Jimbo has recruited well at Texas A&M, they consistently stumble somewhere. Um, they might go 10-2, and two, but they're going to lose the wrong two games. That's why I can't pick them to win their division. Um, and, and Jimbo could find himself in a little bit of hot water here. If he, if he keeps struggling to produce, he's got the top recruiting class. I get that they're young, but those guys have to contribute. Uh, Lane Kiffin is another one where you just don't know where he's going to win. He's got a new quarterback with, with Matt Corral being in the NFL. So he's got to figure that out a little bit. Um, I, I'm with you on the Arkansas thing. They they overachieved last year, which is great, and I'm happy for that program. I just don't see how they could be consistent enough to even contend um, for that division. So if, for some reason, Alabama doesn't win, it's it has to be Texas A&M, and I, I don't see anybody else winning the West. Yeah, I don't think that anybody will topple Alabama. I think somebody will get them. I don't know that they can run the table. We'll play the schedule game here with them in a minute, but I just didn't know what I was missing on A&M and Arkansas that everybody is all over these two as being amazing. And why does everybody hate Brian Harson? So to back up, he is the current Auburn head coach. He is entering his second season. He went six and six last year before losing in the Birmingham Bowl, the much vaunted Birmingham Bowl, but he took over at Boise State when Chris Peterson left. And I know it's easy to say, well, Chris Peterson set him up and made Boise State into this amazing team. True, but he also carried it on. Once Peterson's guys were gone, he had his own system. His one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years there. 12 wins, nine wins, 10 wins, 11 wins, 10 wins, 12 wins, and then finished five and two in the COVID shortened year. So 69 and 19 career record at Boise State and seemed like a good hire. Is it just one of those guys who's not an SEC coach? We see lots of good coaches who the SEC is just not their thing and that whatever it is, the Southern culture or that. But he seems to be the most put upon of all the SEC coaches that everybody's taking shots at Brian Harson for being awful for some reason or another. It it has to do more with how he treats people. Um, when when you're the man at Arkansas State, 
for a year, um, you, you can kind of get away with it, with doing that. And then going to Boise state where like your, your team is supported and the boosters are like, do what you got to do to win. Um, and you don't really have to be a public figure. You don't have to be like the CEO of an organization when you're at a place like Boise. You can just do things your way and you can, for lack of a better term, be a jerk to all of the people around you um, and get away with it. And he came into to Auburn and just treated all the people like crap. We're talking like secretaries, the athletic trainers, just telling them how much they suck um, as people when if, if you're saying that it's more of a reflection of you in the mirror and you can't do that where when you're under a microscope constantly 24 seven and he's doing that to everybody that he is surrounded by um, it's just a toxic environment and he has created that he's responsible for it. But none of that stuff is in the spotlight when you're at Arkansas State and winning or Boise State and winning. Um, and, and so it just has to do with the way that he treats people is why the Auburn thing isn't going to last. And that's I'm not going to excuse that, but also we're talking about SEC football coaches here. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Brian Kelly, Lane Kiffin, Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel, Jimbo Fisher, like every one of these guys is. Mr. Rogers. Maybe, uh, maybe Mr. Rogers isn't quite the, the, um, same comparison that you would use. Ah. Uh, but they, they certainly know how to, uh, they certainly how to know how to schmooze the right people at the right time. Um, and, and say the right things in the right places. So Nick Saban might, he might light up his recruiting coordinator in private, um, and not embarrass him in front of his peers. And it doesn't sound like Brian Harson has that same approach to things. Uh, I, as I was reading more about it, it kind of made me think of the way Ermeyer treated all the people in the Jaguars organization. Um, it kind of had that same vibe to it. Um, what, and, and maybe that's not a fair comparison, but, but I'll deal with that. Uh, so, so Nick Saban knows how to have those things happen behind his doors and it doesn't get out and spread like wild. Ah. Makes sense. Speaking of Mr. Saban and his Crimson Tide, uh, the scheduled game with them. So three of their first four are Utah State, Louisiana, Monroe, and Vanderbilt. So we'll chalk up three wins there, and you're picking them to win at Texas? Yes, I am. So you've got them starting out 4-0. They go into October 1st at Arkansas. Tough game, but they'll win that. They host Texas A&M the week after that. That's a win. He's going to have that press conference of Jimbo Fisher playing all week long throughout the 
football practice facility. That's a win. So they're six and zero. They go to Tennessee. That's a win. They host Mississippi State. Win. After the bye, they go to LSU. Win. At Ole Miss. That's where they trip up. I like it. Just just so we can get gloating Lane Kiffin. Yep. They host Austin P. And then they will host. Let's go P. They host the Iron Bowl this year against the potentially coachless Auburn team. <laughs> oh man, I was so frustrated. You know what? Maybe that's why I don't like Brian Harson. Is they had that game one last year. Auburn had that game one, and Tank Bigsby ran out of bounds instead of falling down in the middle of the field which showed me that he hadn't been coached on what to do in that situation. And it allowed Alabama to have time to come back and win in overtime, even though Auburn could have won that game. So Alabama's going to thrash them. Maybe that's that now that just rekindled some, some trauma for me there. Feelings lost some money that night. Mm. Also, who did Tennessee upset in the sec? scheduling department they go to pit for however tough that is you get florida obviously divisional rival you have to go to lsu then you get alabama kentucky and at georgia so your your crossovers are at lsu and you host alabama have fun that's their penance for all that crap that jeremy pruitt did when Uh, he was their head coach like they're in all kinds of trouble for that so that's why they got that schedule so as boring as it may sound, are we picking Alabama, Georgia in the SEC title game? Yes, we are. And I feel like the smart pick is Alabama. I think they're the better team. We're going to look at some of the kind of preseason stars here in a minute, but I so badly want it to be Georgia just because I don't want Alabama that bad. My my heart says Georgia or anybody that's not Alabama, but my head says it's probably just going to be Alabama. He doesn't lose the same thing twice. So he's not going to lose in the SEC title game again to Georgia. Um, so, it, and, and he's like, he's seeing Georgia parade their national title stuff all around, and that just kills him. So Alabama's going to beat Georgia. And some of the individual players, we've touched on a lot of these players. Bryce Young, the Alabama quarterback, the aforementioned Tank Bigsby, the Auburn running back. Kayshawn Boutte, whose name I'm still certain I'm pronouncing wrong. LSU, big wide receiver, probably going to be the first wide receiver taken in the draft. Uh, I know we don't love talking about offensive linemen, but Ricky Stromberg at Arkansas is probably another pro guy. And like this entire SEC defense, like the the all pro guy or all conference guys are all probably going to be in the NFL in the next couple of years. Jalen Carter at Georgia and Will Anderson at Alabama are probably top five picks. Derek Hall from Auburn, BJ Ojolari from LSU, the wonderfully named Bumper Pool at Arkansas, Henry Teotio at Alabama, Jordan Battle at Alabama, Eli Ricks at Alabama, Keeley Ringo from Georgia, Cam Smith at South Carolina, and Jalen Catalan from Arkansas. He may be the best of all four of those defensive backs or all five. But yeah, there's like 10 guys that are going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL in the next couple of years. The one thing I want to point out about Will Anderson is um, he was a freshman and he came in and started at Alabama. 
starting linebacker on an Alabama defense as a freshman. And at one point during that season, and it might have been even after the season, but Nick Saban said that he's he's maybe the most gifted athlete that he's ever coached on a defense. And and while we, we could come up with a list of players, for him to say that about somebody after freshman year, it's like, this guy's for real. So um, Will Anderson is is a really fun player to watch. If you're ready for the next Khalil Mack, Falcons or Texans fans, who's ever going to be first overall, you may get him instead of a quarterback. Please do. And uh, a quick look here at some of the independent and mid-major teams. I'll just rattle off a bunch here. Notre Dame is the first one. I think hugely overrated. I think they're going to be the team we look at in the top 10 and be like, why were they ranked so high? As much as we may not always celebrate Brian Kelly, I think his loss is going to be a huge deal. First-year coaches always make me a little bit nervous. Oh, and they go to Ohio State to start the season. So they're the highest rated of anybody in this crop. Then you drop down quite a bit. Cincinnati is still there at 17. We'll be curious to see what life is like for them after Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner, and all the guys they lost to the pros. Houston there at 22. Uh, BYU at 26. This is just CBS. CBS is poor. They rank every single team. Uh, Coastal Carolina has kind of become one of the consistent ones there at 36. Fresno State with the return of Jeff Tedford. The Mountain West is very much theirs. Boise State right next to them. UCF, App States, SMU, San Diego State. Those are kind of the top 50, I would say, of the mid-major teams. So whether or not you want to make quick hitters in each one of these conferences, we can kind of talk about some of the smaller conference teams and I or want, independents. I want you to tell me your your boy that's the quarterback at Coastal Carolina. What's his name? Uh, it's a fine question. Like, so is Austin McCarl is a <laughs> no. There's a sprint car driver named Austin McCarl, and every time I think of the Coastal Carolina quarterback, that sprint car driver's name comes in my head, but I know it's not Austin McCarl. Grayson McCall. There we go. Yeah, I thought you liked him for some reason. I mean, I I celebrate him. He's a little bit injured, so we'll see if he's going to be the guy to start the year for him, but. He's one of those guys who kind of feels like he's been in college forever, but then again, it's Coastal Carolina, so one and a half good years is a rarity. But they trying to get the conferences pulled up here. I mean, the Sun Belt has weirdly become fun to watch. We'll see if that changes with Louisiana losing Billy Napier. That one side may not be as fun. But you get Marshall, App State, and Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt East. Those are going to be some fun games. If you're looking for some Thursday night football and there's no action or uh, you want a fun game, you're sick of the power conferences. Coastal Carolina is one of those teams that can win 10 or 11 games. Uh, kind of the same can typically be said for App State. Those two teams are going to be in there battling for the Sun Belt. Uh, I think the Mountain West is the really fun conference. Depending on who I look at, rankings are all over the place. Boise State, not surprisingly, in there. Fresno State, not surprisingly, in there with Jeff Tedford coming back. And Kalen DeBoer made that team pretty good. I do like this Wyoming team. Another former North Dakota State coach doing his thing. Air Force, Utah State, San Diego State are all typically going to be in there. Uh, I think it comes down to Fresno versus Boise, and I've just seen too many Broncos seasons to not think that Smurf Turf is going to win the Mountain West. The Mac, your beloved Maction. Again, Kevin told us to pick Kent State, so that's all I'm going to do. I can't think of a conference I know less about than the Mac. Uh, one of the Michigan teams and then Kent State, presumably, or Buffalo. Buffalo always feels kind of good. 
I'm a little shocked. Like I forget that you live in the mountain West. So I'm like, how do you know more about the mountain West than the Mac? But it makes sense because you live there. I love air force, by the way, I think air force football is fun. Uh, watch some of their games. They're probably not going to beat Fresno and Boise. It'd be really cool if they did though, like for them to win, a, right. that'd be really sweet. Going to the Maction, uh, why he loves Kent State, I don't know. I'd love to hear his reasoning sometime. Uh, Toledo finally is going to, Jason Candle is just going to say, this is the year. We're not leaving any doubt. He's got it figured out. Uh, Toledo is going to win the MAC. Um, they, they are a team that has just consistently built up since Matt Campbell left, they kind of went through a little lull, but they didn't, they weren't bad. They just kind of went through a lull, but candles got all uh, a whole ton of experience back on both sides of the ball. So Toledo's going to get it done. Looking at um, some of the other ones, conference USA, another one, I don't really know a whole lot about it. feels like conference USA has kind of been what the Sun Belt used to be, the Sun Belt and the Mac and some of these other ones have gotten better. And this is kind of the whoever's left over. UAB is a fun story, so I'm going to pick them to win. Western Kentucky, UTSA, North Texas, Middle Tennessee are typically the best best of this bunch, but I'm going to go with UAB in their rising from the ashes, Phoenix kind of story they've had. Uh, probably the AAC, that team that kind of straddles the line of mid-major and power five the most. UCF, Memphis, Navy. It's going to be Cincinnati, I think, easily there. It's Houston probably in there at number two. I think the AAC has kind of got some sneaky fun matchups and a lot of a variety and styles and talent and a little bit of everything you get in the AAC. And then the independence, uh, other than Notre Dame on your independence, BYU is going to be competitive, typically a nine, 10 win team. I think our army's going to bounce back and Liberty, who knows what's going to happen with them year in year out. But now that we know they have Charlie Brewer as their quarterback, don't expect much out of UMass, UConn or New Mexico state. They're kind of getting to be cannon fodder for everybody else in the country. But the of of this whole bunch, I th- still think Cincinnati's probably your best bet to make a New Year Six Bowl. I think Luke Fickle's kind of just got his system in place and won't necessarily reload to be as good as they were last year. But if you want a, a New Year Six team out of your mid-majors, it's probably them or we'll see what happens in the Mountain West. I think those are your two to watch. Um, Conference USA. Can I, can I jump back to that for a moment? You sure can. All right. So... So somehow in your, your radio world, we need to give a shout out to Dave bar too. I don't know if he's coming over later for you guys to have some, uh, sit down or whatever, but, uh, he is all in on Florida international. Weird. And so I just want to point that out that I am, I'm a huge believer in what Dave bar does and his analytics and his approach to everything. So Florida international is the longest shot to win the conference USA. And so um, I hope they do really well. They were like a one win team and Bush Davis just buried them because he quit trying a couple years ago and was just there. He kind of reminded me of the coach and the water boy, like really just was there. Um, so Florida international, let's watch out for them. Um, we'll see if they can give the road runners a run for their money in conference yeah. USA. Uh, and then, and then you said the American Dana Holgerson. I, I don't know if he's smoking cigarettes on the sidelines, but he looks like a guy that smokes cigarettes on the sidelines when his hair is all 
poofing out the side and he's running his fingers through it. So uh, Houston is going to win the AAC as well. Interesting. He's one of those guys where I just never know if I can trust him. He's like, okay, he's always good enough to win seven wins, but is he going to do more than that? Yeah, it's a great question, and I don't have the answer. Also, getting getting back to Notre Dame here, I think we're obligated to talk about them. And dude, we'll do one more quick sprint through the schedule game. They start at Ohio State. I think they're going to get smashed. As much as I don't like Ohio State, I think they're just going to run them out of the stadium. Marshall, Cal, North Carolina, those are winnable. At BYU versus Stanford, I think they could trip up those games. You have Clemson, Navy, and you go to USC. I'm not going to be shocked if Auburn has four losses when you look at Ohio State, BYU, Clemson, and USC. Maybe sprinkle in, you know, see how good yeah. a Navy or a North Carolina or a Stanford is. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what it is about Notre Dame that everybody's thinking they're a top ten team. So their over under is eight and a half, Darren. Ooh. Go through That's... that. See if you can count nine wins. Uh, should not have clicked off that screen. All right. So if if not, then we need to go take out a loan and bet it on the under. Okay. And then pay off the loan and buy a pool with what we win. So you've got Alabama or Ohio State's a loss. Okay. Marshall is one win. Cal is two. North Carolina's three. Let's say they lose to BYU and Stanford. UNLV, that's win number four. Syracuse is win number five. Lose to Clemson. Probably beat Navy. That's seven. Beat Boston College. That's eight. And then you lose to USC. So I have them at eight wins with losses to USC, Ohio State, kind of being the guarantees, and then your toss-ups with BYU and Stanford. So that... That BYU Stanford, those back to back weeks in early October are going to be your deal breakers. I've okay. Got, I've got them at eight. All right. So I'm going to get plus 120 right now Ooh. on them. Making money. And we'll have, we'll have plenty more opportunities to talk college football here in the coming months. But anything else you want to talk on this week's episode? No, I'm good. Awesome. Uh, something, and again, I apologize for neglecting. We were better at this in the past, but giving a quick uh, shout out to the WNBA. They're into their playoffs, and as a reminder, they don't. They have East-West divisions during the regular season, but it's just the flat top eight teams make the playoffs, regardless of which division you're in. So you could have all Western Conference teams, whatever it may be. But in your first round, the Las Vegas Aces, they've kind of been the team the last couple of years, and they were my pick at the beginning of the year crush the phoenix mercury who you would think would be better than the eight seed i i think just the mercury one of those teams that always has talent it feels like they should be above the eight seed but the aces cruise it's just the best of three in the first round so they crushed them in that one out of the semifinals. chicago sky and the liberty and the all three games completely different but the sky two huge blowouts at the end at new york the feel-good story with sabrina ionescu but they need more than her to make a run the Sky last year went from the Cinderella team to now just being one of the top teams in the league, so they're not going to sneak up on anybody in this post Candace Parker era. Uh, your 3-6, the Dallas Wings, of who expected the Dallas Wings to be here, uh, got there, and as we're recording this, they're about to settle that series. I would have to pick the Connecticut Sun to win that one. 
And then the Seattle Storm beating the Washington Mystics, the Brianna Stewart team versus the Atlanta Deladon team, Atlanta making or, or Seattle, sorry, making a run here. So you've got three of your four. It's been chalk so far with the Aces, the Sky, and the Storm getting three of those spots. I think the Sun will get the fourth one, and that'll be an interesting bracket to see how it all shakes out. I think with the Sioux Bird riding off into the Sunset Story, plus Brianna Stewart playing out of your mind, I think Seattle and Las Vegas, winner of that one, will be my pick to win it all. But I'm going to go with Seattle. They're the four seed. I think they will take down the Sky in the WNBA championship. I appreciate that they, they used the same color scheme that the Supersonics had went back when they were a team. So I'm I'm going to root for the Storm, Darren. I also think that the Connecticut Sun, their logo is pretty cool. Like whoever designed that and said, hey, let's use this as their logo, I, I give them a lot of credit. So it's it's fun to see that um, you gave a good rundown of the playoffs. So uh, we'll keep keep an eye on that the next couple of weeks here. And John Keel Jones, the big star for the Sun, she's having a great start to the playoffs here. Yes, it's only been two or three games for a lot of these people, but she's been great. Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum won two, or Chelsea Gray, sorry, and Kelsey Plum won two punch for Vegas. And it's kind of been what Vegas has become. You know, like an Asia Wilson goes down, do they lose Liz Cambage? Oh, no, they just have two more stars. They roll right in there. So great for them. And uh, Jewel Lloyd also being great, uh, having a great playoff for Seattle so far. Um, but again, wherever Candace Parker is, you cannot count the sky out. So be, it'll be fun with these final four teams and probably will end up being chalk here in this final four. Anything else on your sports calendar we have not got to yet this week? I have nothing else on my sports calendar. I've I've only been waiting for college football. Like, uh, oh, like let's pretend that you're a little kid. You're waiting for somebody to show up for the weekend, and you're standing by the window. That's yeah. me with college football. Like. I don't care that Nebraska is playing in Ireland. I'm I'm waiting for that game to kick off. I'm just staring at the TV. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. I'm Oh, by the way, the Lakers are acquiring Pat Beverly. Um but I I'm kind of the same oh. way. I'm, just, I'm ready for college football to be here. They need another washed up veteran on their <laughs> roster. That's that's all LeBron wants. Nobody nobody under the age of 28. Uh Jeez. yeah. This, I guess we should talk about that. We have games coming up this weekend. As you mentioned, the fun Nebraska Northwestern in Ireland game. Uh, not a, not a super deep week. That's definitely your best one. Some very random matchups between probably not a lot of household names, Yukon and Utah State, Wyoming and Illinois, kind of fun matchups like that. But hey, Nebraska Northwestern fans, this is your biggest game of the week or biggest game of the season. All eyes on you. No doubt about that. We also get a nightcap. Um, I guess I call it a nightcap because it's 9.30 for me. Um, Vanderbilt in Hawaii. Which, again, totally random matchups. Love it. It's great. Hey, if you're Vanderbilt, that's a winnable game. It is a winnable game. I just worry about the travel and the aspect of that, like... Being able to keep your guys focused, I think, is really hard. Um, now, he does have an advantage. Clark Lee does because they're all really smart people. They're at Vanderbilt. Yeah, it's a bunch of nerds. So maybe they can focus. It's a winnable game. It's a winnable game. I'm still. I'm going to take Hawaii to cover the eight and a half. Um, but 
Um, it's certainly a winnable game by Vanderbilt. I just don't think they cover eight. So give Hawaii's getting eight and a half. I'll take that. You tap in North Texas. That's a toss up game. If you're looking to have some fun, um, because who doesn't want to throw a fun bet on a weekend? Charlotte is a plus two thirty five on the money line at Florida Atlantic. If you can tell me a Florida Atlantic player, a player, or coach, since Lane Kiffin is not there anymore, um, you automatically win the bet. Mario Cristobal was a coach at either FAU or FIU at some point in time. I don't remember which one. Um, I don't either, actually. Now, well, I didn't win the bet. No, also, you didn't. Vanderbilt in back-to-back weeks. I guess there's a buy-in there. At Alabama versus Ole Miss at Georgia. Have fun, Vanderbilt. <laughs> at least you get a buy. And then they like they redid their uniforms or something. Yeah, or their, their, logo, logos, their logo looks and different. It made all the the world mad. Sorry. Yeah, they. I don't know why they did it, but. It, Willie uh, Taggart is the answer, by the way, for oh the boy. head coach at Florida Atlantic. <laughs> He's another not successful coach. Go ahead. To... What were you going to say about Vandy? Oh, no. I Getting back to your Vandy-Hawaii game, I was going to ask you who I believe he's making his debut as the Hawaii head coach this year is. I, I don't know. I know that they got rid of Todd Graham. This man may be some manner of college football all-time leader in quarterback stats. Um, give me just a moment to think about it. Uh, was, he was a quarterback there, right? Yes, correct. Um, he was hired in January oh, of this dang. year. Dang. Yes. Oh, I'm going to be so mad if you have to tell me because the name is right there. Um, and, and here's the thing. I used to come home from the races and watch him throw the football. And I would eat a pizza and it would be like midnight. I so remember this. Who is it? A four-year starter from 2000 to 2004, he set the NCAA all-time passing and total offense records and finished third all-time with 117 total touchdowns, led Hawaii to three bowl appearances and a record 29 wins at quarterback. Prior to Colt Brennan, there was Timmy Chang. Yes, Timmy Chang. He was so fun to watch. That's that's why I watched him. I God dang, I remember that. We used to have a giant TV in the living room, like a like wide. And I would watch that on Saturday nights. Yeah. When it was like the only thing still on. Yeah. Spent the last five seasons at a as a wide receiver and tight end coach at Nevada and Colorado State. Timmy Chang. Yo, I I might go money line on the uh they're not the rainbow warriors anymore. Did but they go back to rainbow warriors? Be. 
I don't know if they did. That's even more reason to bet bet money on them. They should be the Rainbow Warriors. I thought they were and then stopped. And people are like, can you go back to being Rainbow Warriors because it's cool? And I, I thought they did go back to that. I could be wrong. Okay. Well, you would know better than me. You're closer. That we're, It's basically like walking distance. Well, I think that's going to be our show for this week. We've got we've got all your betting lines, so we got you. You got you prepped for Vanderbilt and Hawaii. How many other shows are going to get you that information? Straight fire with Jason McIntyre might be the only one. Ooh, if we ever get this show anywhere near what Jason McIntyre has done, I will be more than ecstatic. But we have gone up to our hour, and we thank you all for joining us. A fun week to do our two. Uh, second part of our two-part college football preview. We'll be back next week. I believe we have Andrew on the docket to talk about the NFC, and then in two weeks, Shannon and Kevin to talk about the AFC. And Have a safe, fun weekend, and we'll see you back here next week on the Sports Gospel. Thank you.